helping organizations win one veteran at a time. This is the Greencastle Podcast, and now your host, Dan Roberts. This individuality stuff is a bunch of crap. There's a reason why. A master of innovation. The key to this growing is you. Any rational person would give up. I can't disagree with that. Make sure that we're not prisoners of our own experiences. You need a team of great people. We'll not tolerate a loser. What they need is a common vision. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the Greencastle Podcast. We've had some awesome conversations already on this podcast, and today is no exception. Uh, I was joined by phone uh, with Major General John Gronsky, who is the Deputy Commanding General of the uh, U.S. Army soldiers that are in Europe, uh, specifically mostly the National Guard, although he does have a lot of active duty um, and other folks that work for him. Um, so this was a powerful, powerful conversation, and I really can't wait for you to hear it. Um, it really ties in well with last episode on leadership as well, and if you haven't listened to that one yet, maybe go back and listen to that one. Um, it doesn't matter before or after this one, but be sure to listen to both of them if you can. Um, but it really ties back into that that leadership, and, and in this specific episode, we're talking about teamwork and leadership within teamwork. Um, and what makes a good team. Uh, This is just an awesome conversation for our veterans out there who are looking for jobs, uh, who are in a transition, something to that effect, and are trying to understand um, why they're valuable, trying to understand why the teamwork that the military instilled in them uh, makes extreme value um, for for the hiring managers that are hiring them. General Gronsky has served in the military, both active duty and National Guard, for something like 39 years. Um, and he was also a former Greencastle employee. Um, but this, this man's leadership abilities, um, he calls himself a student of leadership rather than an expert in leadership. Just kind of going back to the fact that he's constantly learning. Um, and I love that about him. Uh, so, so folks, please listen. Please take notes. Uh, if you need to go back and listen to it multiple times, I really don't think you'll be sorry that you did. So uh, without any further delay, here is my conversation with General John Gronsky. Folks, I've got uh, Major General John Gronsky here on the phone with me, and, and I cannot explain how excited I am to actually have this conversation finally. We've been talking about it since the beginning of the podcast um, that started back in January. Uh, we actually started recording stuff back in October and November of last year, and this is kind of one of the one of the key conversations I really wanted to have. So, General Gronsky, I really appreciate you being here on the show with me. Hey, it's great to be here. Excellent. So, so let's just dive right into these questions. Can you just give us a, an abbreviated version of your military bio? Yeah. I, I entered the Army in 1978, uh, ROTC program, University of Scranton, served four years on active duty, uh, left active duty uh, out of Fort Lewis, Washington, came back to Pennsylvania. Uh, after about a year in Pennsylvania, I joined the Pennsylvania National Guard commanded an uh, infantry company, infantry battalion, uh, two different uh, uh, infantry brigades. Uh, second brigade I commanded uh, was 2nd Brigade 28th Infantry Division. 
uh, had the honor of uh, commanding that brigade in Ramadi, Iraq for, for a year, uh, deployment there. Then I commanded the 28th Infantry Division. And uh, most of that time was spent as a traditional guardsman, which meant I had a full-time civilian job along with my military responsibilities. And uh, in, in that time where I did uh, work both um, you know, as a civilian job and, and in the National Guard, uh, for about the first uh, 15 years, I worked in a family business in northeastern Pennsylvania. And then the about 13 years uh, after that, I did uh, have an opportunity for work to work for Greencastle Associates Consulting. Then in 2011, uh, actually uh, entered the National Guard program on uh, full-time status, and that that's when I commanded the 28th Infantry Division. And then uh, man, commanded the 28th Infantry Division for three years. And then in May 2016, had the opportunity. Uh, to uh, go on a Title X tour, uh, active duty tour, uh, to be the Deputy Commanding General, U.S. Army Europe for Army National Guard, and that's where I currently am. Okay, wow, that's it's uh, it's a lot to ingest, and that's uh, it gives me a perfect background to uh, what makes you an absolutely awesome awesome uh, conversation for today. So, so what about your civilian career? I know you mentioned uh, the the um, the family business and then the Greencastle. Um, are, are those uh, other than the, I mean, obviously outside of the military time, are are those basically the only two companies that you are part of uh, outside of military, or or, or were there more? No, I'd say after leaving active duty in 1982, those were the two civilian jobs I had. Okay, perfect. Uh, and then in the course, yeah, in the, in the course of that time, you know, I managed to get two master's degrees. I managed to get an MBA from uh, Penn State, uh, Great Valley Campus, and then also uh, uh, master's in strategic studies from the U.S. Army War College. So, in, in that period of time, you know, did some academic work as well. Okay, cool, and that's where I was actually going with that. That's that's uh, that's perfect. Thank you. So, when you when you return to the civilian world, um, when you return to the civilian workforce, and I'm not sure how far away that is, or or if you can foresee that at all, um, what do you think will serve you better in a career? And, and I'll just preface this by saying, in no way, shape, or form, do I want to discount one or the other. But do you think it was your formal education or your military experience that's going to that's going to serve you better, or is it both? Maybe. Oh no, I, I would say that you know I think for anyone, it's one's experience in life, and you know what's what's going to serve me well when I when I leave the military uh, in a, in a couple of years is going to be the experience I had in uh, my civilian careers, my uh, formal education, uh, you know, in, in, in college, and then also the experience I had in the military. So you have to encapsulate all of that, and that, that's, it's those experiences that uh, really factors into the next phase of, of one's life and as one as one continues through their career path, I think it's I think it's really a composite of all those experiences. Sure. Okay. So that's really good information for those who have listened to the past uh, the past conversations that we've had. We're going through our guiding principles uh, as Greencastle. So our fifth guiding principle is is teamwork. Um, and we define teamwork as collaborative and cooperative with others, able to create group synergy and in, in pursuing collective goals. 
So I'm going to ask you to dive into this just a little bit for for our audience, um, but just to kind of uh, give a little more give it a little more background. Can you tell us a little bit about how your military career helped to develop teamwork? For civilian jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, in my military career, I commanded a company of around 150 soldiers, a battalion of around 850 soldiers, a brigade of over, over there in Ramadi, Iraq, it was 5,000 soldiers, a division commander, 15,000 soldiers. Uh, I also served a year in Lithuania uh, about 17 years ago. Uh, working with a small military liaison team in the country of Lithuania, helping the Lithuanians understand how the United States military did business. And I had a very small team there. So after commanding a battalion of around 850 soldiers, having my own staff uh, that worked for me, I went to Lithuania and worked with uh, a team of probably about five or six, six people over there, including uh, U.S. military and and uh, Lithuanians, and now here at U.S. Army Europe, of course, I work for a large headquarters. I'm one of the one of the uh, leaders in a command group where we have 30,000 uh, soldiers here in, in Europe right now. But in my office here, I, I have a small team, including me, of about five people. So I've uh, had experience leading teams from. You know, up to 15,000 uh, people, and down to small teams. Of the current one I have now, of about of about four. So, I think that there's some imperatives um, for a highly effective team, and I, I, I could relate those imperatives uh, to you if you if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Yeah, I, I I call it you know when when working with the team, uh, the three imperatives are 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 team, communicate, and anticipate. And underneath team, I think it's really important to establish an environment of mutual trust, uh, watching each other's back, and then also treating all teammates uh, with dignity and respect. In terms of communicate, I think it's about thinking about who else needs to know and informing them. Also, the second part of that would be following up once you communicate, and then to be clear and concise in your communication, whether it be written communication, oral communication, you know, sending an email, talking to somebody on the phone, whatever. And then the third imperative would be anticipate. Uh, you have to be looking at what are future requirements and determining what those future requirements might be. If you're um, about to conduct an engagement or meeting, anything of that nature, you have to be prepared for those engagements and those meetings. And then you also have to plan for contingencies. So again, if you just think of team, communicate, anticipate, I think those are, those are imperative for having a highly effective team. And that could be a team of four. That could be a team of uh, 15,000. And the other thing you got to remember uh, with any organization, whether it be a large organization like General Electric or a, an organization like a, an infantry division in the U.S. Army, you know, I say 15,000 uh, soldiers or in a corporation, you could have 15,000 people. But it's all, always about the span of control. So even as a division commander, you know, I only had five or six brigade commanders in my division, and those were essentially my direct reports. Of course, I worked with my staff too. So no matter how large the organization, you always have to have a span of control uh, that is, you know, to the degree that you could operate effectively. 
That is perfect. I could not ask for a better answer because my next question was actually going to ask how do the teams differ and, and how does leading those teams differ? And you just, you just answered that 100% perfectly because you have a team now um, and you've had teams of, of very small folks, five, six people, all the way up to, you know, 15, 20,000. Um, and if I, if I read correctly, it looks like uh, being the deputy commanding general of, of, of Europe, it looks like at any one time you have 35,000 troops. Am I correct about that? Yeah, there's about 30,000 troops assigned here, and then we also have rotational forces who come over here on what we call nine-month heel-to-toe rotation. So, you know, that could be an armor brigade, that could be uh, an aviation brigade, and then and then other units besides that. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, you'd say between 30,000, 35,000 at okay. any one time over here in Europe. Awesome. Perfect. So, so I'm just going to reiterate those points, folks. Uh, he just said that the key to successful teams is remembering the team, remembering to communicate, and remembering to anticipate. Um, and, and, I, and I love that answer because I'm actually uh, in the process of hopefully starting a book, um, and, and I'm brainstorming right now about the difference between being proactive and being reactive. Um, and the key with proactivity is just that anticipation of future uh, future happenings, really. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in the fast-paced world, the, com- the complexity of the world, uh, which we uh, live in now, whether it be military or, or civilian, uh, in order to compete in a fast-paced world, uh, you, you have to be able to anticipate. You can't be reactive. You've got to be proactive, and that's that's what anticipation is all about. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you for that. Why in the settings of especially military, why is teamwork so important? First of all, I think the military is the ultimate team endeavor. Uh, but in, in any, uh, you know, outside of the military, in any corporate environment, in any uh, civilian environment, I mean, teamwork is, is absolutely uh, essential. I mean, even, even if you are uh, have a have a business where you are like the only person who works within that business. You happen to be the business owner. You don't have any employees working for you. You still have to look at team at things from a team perspective. You can look at vendors as being part of your team. You can look at suppliers as being part of your team. You could look at uh, you know anyone would have to go through some type of continual education or continual training so they could be part of your team. So even in a company of, of, of only one, uh, you still have to be team-oriented. Sure. So uh, it's, it's essential in, in, in whatever you do. But, sure. but as I said, the military is certainly the ultimate team endeavor, and that's because it's all about life and death, and that's an awesome responsibility, and that's why values are, are so important uh, to those in the military as well, because it's, it's a great responsibility that we do have. Sure. And what's so amazing about that is is that that responsibility is given at the very, very lowest level. Um, so, so even those even those uh, E ones, twos, threes, fours, whatever, going going into a combat scenario, are given that same responsibility. Um, and that that really is a powerful, powerful concept. Uh, if you if you stop and think about that. So, so yeah, I appreciate that candid that candid answer. Absolutely. You know, when you talk about when you talk about empowering junior leaders to to do those type of things, that that's why character and values are so important for one who serves in the military. Because uh, you you need soldiers uh, at at every or military personnel, depending on what service you're in, at every level 
to really um, uh, exemplify those, those values because of that responsibility. Sure, absolutely. And, and what's funny is you mentioned uh, you mentioned that character that, that that's really essential. And I, I was just reading your uh, your latest blog post, which I think you just posted today. Am I correct? Yes. We're talking about character, competence, and resilience, um, and that that leadership. It's all about character, competence, and resilience. Um, is there anything you would like to add to that, just to explain for our audience? Um, that just kind of the reasoning behind behind that post, and maybe a little bit of an explanation of it as well. Yeah, well, I, I think you know, character is, is certainly the bedrock of of being a leader. And and in my own mind, when when I define character, I, I think in terms of of trust. I think in terms of values, and I think in terms of emotional intelligence. And trust is is, is extremely important. I think for any any leader. To, to be able to lead an organization effectively, that leader has to establish an environment of trust. And in order to do that, there, there's several things a leader has to keep in mind. I, I, I truly believe that a leader, in order to establish that environment of trust, has to take the risk of trusting others first. I don't think that uh, it's possible to uh, trust somebody who doesn't trust you. So if I'm a leader and I don't trust somebody in my organization, I think it's almost uh, humanly impossible for that person in, that or in the organization to trust me. So I, I do think leaders have to take the risk to trust others first. You have to be able to provide a, a vision uh, that limits confusion. Uh, when you uh, provide a vision, people know what direction the organization is going. Uh, you have to display integrity, the highest level of integrity at all times. You've got to be able to lead by example, and that means if you uh, do set standards uh, for the people in your organization, you also have to live by those standards. You have to truly care about others in your organization. I think if you do all those things, you're going to be able to establish that environment of trust that is so important for a healthy organization to function effectively. Man, that's perfect, because that re leads right back to the team. Um, if if the team doesn't trust each other, then then they're not going to be able to accomplish the mission as effectively as a team that does trust. Um, so that's I think that that leads right perfectly back into this conversation on teamwork. You know, uh, one of the leader experts I like to follow is Simon Sinek, and he talks about the circle of of, of trust. And I, I I think the essence of this is if you're in an organization where people don't trust each other. They find themselves watching their own back instead of watching each other's back. And when you're in an environment like that, it's hard to concentrate on your task at hand. And uh, as Senek says, there's a lot of things outside of the environment of one's organization that you have no control over. And he says in prehistoric times, it might have been the saber-toothed tiger. It might have been a storm. It might have been lightning, those type of things you have no control over. In modern times, it could be the stock market. It could be market conditions. Uh, there could be other factors in the economy that you may not have any control over. But one thing a leader does have control over is the environment that they set for their organization. And that's where you could set a safe environment so those within your organization treat each other with dignity and respect because they see the leader treating others with dignity and respect. And, uh, again, that, that leads to a highly functioning organization. And folks, these are awesome, awesome answers. Um, 
And this is the stuff that you can take home and put in the bank just for future reference or even for the reference for now. Because in any situation, it doesn't matter if you don't have subordinates or not, you can still be a leader. Um, and that's these are these are perfect examples of, of why it's so important to to work as a team, to, to, to be the leader that trusts, to be the leader that sets that safe environment. Thank you so much for those answers. That's perfect. So let's just specifically speak to veterans here looking for jobs. Um, can veterans do better in, in this, this teamwork slash leadership area? Do you, do you see veterans that get into the workforce um, almost kind of having a chip on their shoulder as a one-man show? despite that, that team mentality ingrained in them in the military. Is that a common issue or is that just, uh, you know, maybe a one-off type thing or can, can veterans honestly do better in that area? No, I, I mean, I think any, any veteran, anybody who's served in the military has served in a team environment. So I, I don't think they should feel like they're a, uh, you know, the, the, the old saying the Army used to have in terms of its, its recruiting and marketing used to be the Army of One, and I think a lot of people disagreed with that because it's not an Army of One, it's an, ar- it's a, it's an Army of Teamwork. And as I mentioned earlier, the military is the ultimate team endeavor. Nobody succeeds in the, in the Army in, in any military service if, if they're not a team player. I don't think anybody survives uh, for a long period of time in the uh, civilian sector if, if they're not a team player. And there's certain characteristics that our veterans have uh, that I think veterans, you know, during the course of an interview, job application, uh, whatever, should, should really let employers know that, that, that they have that they could offer to an organization. Okay, perfect. So then that leads into this, this writing a resume or taking interview. Um, what areas should a, should a veteran focus on? Uh, are there any terms they should include? I mean, is this, I mean, obviously we want to drive this home for potential employers. Oh, yeah, certainly. I, I think anybody serving in the Army or any military service uh, starting at basic training or, you know, if you, if you enter the military as an officer through your your you know, your officer training, I mean, leadership is, is number one. Uh, with, with your, no matter what level you enter, whether it's a second lieutenant or whether it's a private E1, uh, you're being taught leadership right, right from the very beginning. Uh, there's a whole laundry list of characteristics that veterans should, um, you know, basically advertise to uh, employers. I mean, uh, a veteran is goal-oriented. They have a history of dependability. Uh, they have the ability to learn because in basic training, you're learning new skills. And then when you go to your advanced individual training for whatever your military occupational specialty is, you have to learn new tasks and, and skill sets so you have a proven ability to learn. You've got a track record of being disciplined. We already mentioned team player. Shared values, you know, in the Army we talk about loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And we already talked about why it's so imperative that soldiers actually exemplify those shared values because of the awesome responsibility they have. Uh, They've proven to be adaptable. Uh, They've proven that they could get along with diverse groups. I mean, you you enter any military service and you're going to have a tremendous amount of diverse groups that you're that you're operating with. Uh, the other thing, you know, we talk a lot about leadership, but there's also something known as followership. 
And even me as a two-star general, I mean, <laughs> I've got a three-star general that I work for. So everybody, no matter what level you're at, has to understand how to follow, and I think that's important. Uh, adherence to standards, there's, there's certain standards that the military sets, just as there's standards that civilian organizations set, and veterans have proven that they have the ability to adhere to those standards. Speaking of leadership again, Veterans have had to enforce standards that have been set. Uh, there's problem solving, decision making. And then a lot of people, um, uh, and, and again, I think veterans need to let uh, civilian hiring managers know this, that the military does value creativity and innovation. And um, in the military, we like to say, you know, we tell when we're giving out an operations order, you know, we, we tell a unit, we tell a, a soldier what to do and why they need to do it, but we don't tell them how to do it. We let soldiers use their own innovation to, to figure out how to carry out a plan. So, uh, you know, some people look at the military as, as being very structured. I look at the military as being an environment that values innovation and, and creativity, and veterans should, should also let employers know that. I love that answer because we, in past episodes, if anybody, if if our listeners have been listening, we talk about the getting getting an operations order, um, and we talk about you have your mission and you have your commander's intent, but how you get there is pretty much up to you. Um, and that's, I mean, obviously there are certain steps, there are certain uh, key tasks that have to be accomplished. Um, but I love that answer. That innovation is what is what drives our mission, and I and I, and I appreciate that. That's perfect. So you've already kind of answered this, um, but you do have an extensive history of working for civilian organizations. Um, mo- most employers nowadays are are committed to hiring veterans or have some type of veteran hiring program. So is there something you would like for hiring managers, specifically who have never necessarily been in the military or dealt with military extensively, is there anything you would like them to know uh, when considering hiring veterans? And like I said, you've somewhat answered this already, but is there there anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I I do think I answered that question already, but, but what I would like to add is, and we do talk a lot about hiring veterans, but I think it's also important for employers to know it's very important for our country uh, that they also look at hiring, serving reservists and National Guardsmen. Because, you know, a veteran, you know, a lot of times a a hiring manager will conjure up the image of a veteran in their mind as somebody who has served in the military but is now no longer serving in the military. Uh, But, you know, a National Guardsman, a reservist is still serving, and they've got their training that they have to do uh, throughout the course of the year. They've got certain deployments that they have to go on. But the benefit of hiring a National Guardsman and a reservist, as opposed to hiring somebody who served but is now out of the military, is that these folks are still engaged actively with leading soldiers. They're still engaged actively with going to military training. And another bonus is, uh, you know, employers have to realize anybody serving in the National Guard or Reserves, they are drug-free individuals <laughs> because the National Guard and Reserves does random drug testing um, on a regular basis. And if you're going to be serving in the National Guard or Reserves, you have to be drug-free. And then the other thing, you're, you're, get, you're getting a person who is in good physical condition. 
And I'm talking about all aspects of fitness, not just physical fitness, but emotional fitness, psychological fitness, because they've, you know, they're, they're, they've got those type of resources available to help them stay in, in shape uh, mentally, emotionally, in terms of resilience. Uh, a serving National Guardsman or Reservist is going to be going through resiliency training on a regular basis. So there are all kinds of benefits for an employer to, to uh, hire a serving National Guardsman or a serving Reservist. Excellent. That's perfect. Thank you for that. Because uh, it's one thing I don't think we've brought out on this uh, on this podcast yet is the fact that um, reservists are reservists, National Guard, and and prior active duty. Um, if they're just coming off of active duty, yeah, they have to be drug free. That's that's great, and they also have to be in good physical and mental condition. Um, so yeah, again, that's not a point that's been brought out before, but that's an excellent point to make. Um, so so these these last two questions I I ask to everybody that's on the show. Um, first of all, is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know, both veterans and uh, veterans looking for a job and hiring managers looking to hire? Yeah, I, I would just like everybody to know what great uh, men and women we have serving in our military. I just bumped into uh, uh, a sergeant the other day. Uh, he's a staff sergeant. Uh, his name is Staff Sergeant Jackson. His Wife is also a staff sergeant uh, in the military. They're both over here on active duty here in Europe. And I bumped into him in the in the gym the other day, and uh, I, I was basically talking to him about, hey, how is your wife doing? And he told me his his wife is deployed to Africa right now, and he's got two children that he's he's not just serving here in the military at U.S. Army Europe headquarters. But now he's also taking care of two children as, as his wife is deployed for six months uh, in Africa. And, I mean, that, that's just a great American. And that's not unusual. We have so many great Americans serving in the military. And anybody listen, listening to the podcast should just be so proud of the men and women we have serving in, in the military today. So I just wanted to get that message out uh, loud and clear. Well, that is awesome, and these are these are America's true heroes, and I appreciate that that insight and the knowledge that you give to us on that. So, then, where can our audience connect with you, or, or do you mind if they connect with you? Oh no, I don't mind if they connect. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. You know, they can search me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, my uh, Twitter name is at mg gronsky. So that would be for Major General Gronsky. So, again, it's at M-G-G-R-O-N-S-K-I. Uh, my email address is, is on my LinkedIn information. Uh, so I think between uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, if anybody wants to connect with me, uh, they'll be able to see my email address and other information there, and I'd be happy if anybody wanted to reach out to me, uh, discuss leadership, military, um, anything like that, I'd be happy to uh, to uh, talk to those folks. Excellent, perfect. So, and I'll also put that in the show notes, folks. If anybody's interested, if you uh, if you just want to go to the show notes, and uh, I'll just put a direct link to to his information, both uh, both LinkedIn, Twitter, and his email address. So, so yeah, thank you for that. Well, General Gronsky, sure. this this uh, has been an absolutely awesome conversation. Um, we've we've had some pretty heavy hitters on the show uh, already, and I think this just kind of is icing on the cake. And, and I and I I love the fact that we were able to link up like this. Um, so so thank you so much for joining us. 
the honor is all mine, man. I mean, being able to talk to you is an honor. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that was my conversation with Major General John Gronsky. What a great conversation that was. Folks, join us again next time on our deep dive into integrity. It's Greencastle's sixth guiding principle out of seven. So we have integrity, and then after that, we'll have enthusiasm. Uh, But join us next time on this talk on integrity, and I don't know that there's a more important issue to a lot of people than the issue of integrity. So join us again then. We hope you have a, a good couple of weeks between now and then, and we hope to see you when we get back. 